Uh, well, hello, my name is uh, Jake Barnes. I co-direct the high school ministry here at Grace. And uh, we are in a series in the book of Acts right now. And so if, if you're new to church or new to the Bible or just kind of need a refresher, Acts is this really, really cool book in the Bible. And it's, it's great because we know Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? Right, that, we know that that happened. But then, then there's the question, so what next? So Jesus rises from the dead, but what actually happens next? And that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's the what next in the story of the church. And what's so cool is it's not a story that has ended, right? This is a story that we are a part of today just as much as they were 2,000 years ago. And so I think part of the hope with this series is that we wouldn't just read this and, and look at it as something distant, but as something that's still happening here in Long Beach in the 21st century. And hopefully this can spark our imaginations to think, you know, what does this look like for us today? How can we live faithfully with what God is doing? And so today we're going to be in chapter 5, and uh, we don't, I'm not going to have time to go through all of it, but in the latter half of chapter 5, just cool stuff continues to happen. So the, the uh, apostles are going to be arrested for preaching the gospel, but they say, you know what, you cannot shut us down. And even the religious leaders kind of have to acknowledge, man, there's something going on here. And so this is just, it's really exciting. It, it's, it's a very exciting moment in the life of the church. Uh, but today we're going to focus on the first half of chapter 5, uh, which you heard read today, and that's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, when I hear this passage, there's one question that comes to mind that I want to ask you today, and you're probably anticipating it. And the question is, have you ever been to a zoo before? Right? Someone came to mind? Okay, maybe not, but that's what I'm going to start. Who here has been to a zoo before? Cool. Me too. I like zoos. They're fun. Uh, but I, I was thinking about it this week, and you know what I realized is I think kind of core to the experience of a zoo is the fact that my comfort is never challenged. Right? I go to a zoo, and I go there with the understanding that there have been parameters put in place so that I never have to feel unsafe, that my, my comfort will never be violated. You know, yes, there might be a lion right there 10 feet away from me, but there's a wall that's put into place. And so I don't have to be afraid of this thing because it exists on my terms. It's, it's like it's here on my turf and not the other way around. And I say that not just because I love talking about zoos, uh, but because I think as a Christian, this is true for me, maybe it's true for you as well, there's always kind of a temptation to want to try and put God in a zoo. That, that we can set up parameters that we feel comfortable with and we say, God, I need you to stay inside of these. Don't come out of them. Don't act in any sort of way where you're going to wander outside this cage that I've set up for you. Or, you know, I might tranquilize you or something. I don't know. Um, but I feel like we can do that in our relationship with God. And, you know, I think a passage like the one that we heard read today does a really good job of reminding us that we don't worship a God who's in a zoo. God is not caged in by our expectations of what is comfortable. You know, God is able to and has acted in ways that may sometimes feel confusing or dangerous to us, and it's not our job to manage him. We are on his turf, 
not the other way around. And so that, that's not the point of this sermon today, but I just wanted to say that at the start of the sermon, because I'll be honest, it's easy for me, and, and I'm going to guess it's easy for us to want to try and corral a passage like this and to say, you know, how can, how can we put a positive spin on this? Let's try and sugarcoat this. But I just want to say we're, we're not going to do that today. Let's let God be God as he has revealed himself and seek to understand what's going on here. Because here's the thing, if, if you're, again, if you're new to church, new to the Bible, or just need this reminder, we serve a God who consistently reveals himself as merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so rather than sweeping a passage like this under the rug where God actually puts two people to death, I think we're, we're actually supposed to get out our microscope and say, I'm going to look closer at this. God's acting in such a way that's meant to capture our attention. He's communicating something important here, and we are wise to look at it closely. And so I just want to invite you into that today with me. And so there are three questions that I'm going to ask of this passage that we can journey through with it together. The first is, what's going on here? Like, what's actually happening? Because it's easy to maybe to, to miss it if we're not fully looking at what's going on. The second is, why does it matter so much to God? Because clearly, God cares about what's going on here. God takes some pretty drastic and dramatic action. And so we're good to ask, why does this matter so much to God. And then the last question, just how should we respond? You know, okay, God, what are you actually calling us to do? What's the calling on my life? So what is going on? Why does it matter to God? How should we respond? Sound good? I'm bored. Okay, great. So the first question here is, what is actually going on in this passage? And I just want to start by saying this is an exciting moment in the history of the church, what we're reading through in Acts right now. Maybe this is the most exciting moment in the history of the church over the last 2,000 years. Like, if, if you're a sports fan, you know when you are, like, following a team and they just can't lose? Like, it doesn't matter if, you know, they're down by 10 runs in the bottom of the ninth. Somehow you know that they're going to pull ahead and come through. And it kind of feels like that's where the church is at right now. Like, it doesn't, regardless of the opposition against them, they just can't fail. God is on their side. In chapter 4, uh, verse 31, it says, When they had prayed, so this is all the, the Christians, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is a group of people here in Jerusalem who are saying, yes, Jesus is risen from the dead. He's our Messiah. He's our King. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. God is with them. He is in them. I mean, that's exciting, right? And Acts 4 then goes on, and it gives us a picture of what it actually looks like when God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. 
So what does it look like for a people to be filled by the Spirit? Well, there is a radical, radical unity that is going on here. Right? Do you see the language in verse 32? It says, they were of one heart and soul. And so the picture that I get here is it's like all these various strands being weaved together into one thing. God is uniting his people together. And there's, there's like a sense where they're, they're kind of losing themselves to become part of this one united whole. And it's beautiful. But it's, it's not just a unity that's kind of this like unity in word, like this, yeah, kumbaya, everything's good, we're all together. But it's, it's really practical. It's seriously practical. Verse 34 says, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each and any, to each as any had need. And so this this sense of radical unity, it actually shows up in a tangible way. It's if people are saying, you know what? I have these things, but what matters more to me is you. You matter more to me than my wealth, than my capital. Uh, I I like the way uh, John Piper is a pastor. He says this passage shows us there are two effects of trusting Jesus. First, the heart is tightened in its relationship to people. And second, the heart is loosened in its relationship to things. Faith in Christ creates a bond of love to people and cuts the bond of love to things. And so I just picture this sense where where they're coming in, people are coming into this community holding on to their things, but then they're seeing one another and they're saying, you know what, I'm letting go of these because I want to grab onto you. You are why I am here. You are what this is about, not these other things that I've been holding on to. And it's radical, right? People are selling their houses. I mean, I'm just picturing a scenario where there's some families there. And word gets around, you know, hey, we don't have enough to eat. These families, they've been struck by famine. We don't know what's going to happen. And someone says, you know what? I've got a vacation home a ways away. I don't need it. That doesn't matter to me. It's gone. This, these families, they're going to eat well. You don't have to worry anymore, right? That's the type of stuff that's going on. And and how beautiful. Like, who can deny that God's spirit is a part of that? And so that's the context of what's going on. Okay, that's, that's what sets the scene. But Luke here, then he focuses the text a little bit more. And so he moves away from this macro version of the church, and he focuses in on uh, two different types of people, a few different characters. So on the one hand, we have Barnabas, and on the other hand, we have Ananias and Sapphira. And I'm probably going to motion with my left hand today towards Barnabas, but don't, you guys are Ananias and Sapphira in this equation. Don't worry, I just, it's easier for me, okay? So we have Barnabas, and then we have Ananias and Sapphira. So verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 36, here's what it says about Barnabas. You can look there with me. It says, thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him 
and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas is put forward by Luke as an example of someone who is responding to the Spirit well. Someone who sees what God is doing with his people and says, I'm on board with that. You know, I have this field that I don't need, and what matters more to me is that God's people are taken care of. So it's gone. Here, Peter, take all the money. Use it as you see fit. Bless your people with it. And that's Barnabas. But then verse 5 starts with this word, but, which cues us into the fact that, okay, here's the contrast. So you've seen Barnabas, but now a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's the thing is we, the text doesn't actually tell us all that much. So I, if I'm honest, as I was prepping this week, I'm thinking, Luke, I really wish you would have told me more of the details. That really would have helped me. But as you read commentaries and you just listen to other sermons, what, what seems clear, what most people get is probably something like this went on behind the scenes. And I'm a, I was a film major, so I love narrative. So here's my little narrative as I imagine it. Ananias and Sapphira are are part of this group. They're part of this movement of God's people. And they see Barnabas. They they see this guy who brings in all the proceeds of his his field that he's sold. And he lays it before Peter's feet. They, They probably hear the hushed tones of people. Wow. Did you just see what Barnabas did? God is with these people. What generosity. How amazing. They're probably sitting there and they're thinking, I do want to be like Barnabas. I want people to talk about me like that. You know, actually, we could do that. We have that field. We have that house that we never use. Well, what if we sold it and, and... we can keep part of it for ourselves, but we just bring it and we tell Peter, Dad, this is how much we sold it for. People are going to look at us like they look at Barnabas. We get recognition. We get money. It's great. Well, obviously, it doesn't turn out great. right? God sees through their scheme. He's aware of what's going on here. And so Peter confronts him like you heard read today. He confronts later Sapphira, Sapphira, his wife as well, and both are put to death. So I think a question is, well, what, what is the problem here? What's actually going on that is the problem? And w- what I want to make clear, maybe you already got this, maybe this is just so simple, but I'm like, why not be clear? Why not, why not just be very direct with this? The problem is not that they only gave a portion of what they sold. That's not the problem. Peter makes that clear in verse 4 of chapter 5. He's talking about the property, and he says to Ananias, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? He's saying, look, Ananias, you didn't have to do this. 
And so what we get clearly here from the text is that this, what people are doing, the way they're responding to this, the Spirit by selling their property and giving all the proceeds, it's not mandatory. Like, this isn't some form of, like, communism or something where, hey, in order to be part of us, you got to sell everything, give it to us, and then you can be a part of it. But that this is something that people are doing freely as they respond to the Spirit, as they feel God calling them. And so even if Ananias had brought part of the proceeds and been honest about it, that would have been okay. It's, the issue is not that he gave a portion of the proceeds. The problem is the manner or the motive under which Ananias and Sapphira gave. And the text makes this clear for us. In, in verse 3, when Peter confronts him, he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Later, when he confronts Sapphira, he says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? See, again, the problem here is not that they give part of the proceeds, but it's that they're giving what they're doing is rooted in a lie. Core to their giving is deception. They're taking part in a practice where everybody understood it to mean that what you were giving was the total of what you received. And they think, well, actually, hey, we can use this to our advantage. We sold it for 10, we'll give five, nobody will know the difference. God won't know the difference. And so the issue here is that what, what's exposed in them is a sort of shallow spirituality. It's a fake faith. It's a way of following God that's rooted in a lie. And I think a good biblical word, the one I'm going to use just for the rest of this sermon, is hypocrisy. The problem with Ananias and Sapphira is that they are acting hypocritically. They're saying, well, hey, we want to look generous like Barnabas. We're fine to get the recognition of being a Barnabas, but you know what? We're not actually willing to give what that would require. They're saying, you know, we, we want to look like we're giving into this one heart, one soul community. But really, it's about me. I, I want to look like I actually care for the needy, like I'm doing something out of love for my needy brothers and sisters. But the person I actually hope gets elevated by all of this is me. And that's what's going on. And so this hypocrisy, it's, it's a shallow sort of spirituality that does not actually care about the things God cares about, but ultimately cares about oneself. When we're hypocritical, we look at God's movement, at God's action and his people, and we say, what can I get out of this? What do I need to fake to turn this to my own advantage? And so I believe that is what's going on here in this passage today. And that Luke is giving us two examples. Again, he's giving us the example of Barnabas, who embodies a genuine faith. 
who's actually on board with God's mission in the world, wants to be a part of it, cares for his needy brothers and sisters, and so he sells everything and gives it to the church. Versus Ananias and Sapphira, who are hypocritical. And they're thinking, how can we turn this towards our advantage? What's in this for us? And so that, I think, hopefully answers the question, well, what's going on? But my next question then is, why does it matter so much to God? Right? That's actually the question, if I'm honest, that immediately comes to me from this passage and maybe comes to you as well, is, I mean, okay, yeah, maybe they were hypocritical. Maybe they wanted to look like they were Barnabas, but they actually weren't willing to sacrifice to the same level. Maybe they were fine to put on a sort of false spirituality that was going to trick people, sure, but God, you, you put them to death for it. I mean, at the end of the day, the church still got money from them, right? So why does this matter so much to God? And I think it's worth noting really quick, before I specifically answer that question, that I think God is acting in a big, drastic, dramatic way for a purpose at this moment. Because in all honesty, and I, I, I will be honest, I felt very convicted in, in preparing for this passage to preach this week. Um, I'm a hypocrite a lot of times. And I, I don't want to assume, but I'm sure probably a lot of us in one form or another struggle with being hypocrites. And thankfully, praise God, there is mercy and grace that we are not put to death, right? And so I, I, I think, and a lot of people agree, that probably what's going on here is God's people are at a very interesting, specific moment in their history here. The church is in its infancy. It's something new. And so God is acting in a dramatic way to remind them, hey, here's what I care about. Please take note of this. I'm going to make sure that you get it. Yes, I am... I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but I'm going to do something right now so that you remember who I am and what I care about. And so why does it matter so much to God? Well, I think the reason why hypocrisy, the sort of spirituality that is rooted in deceit and is rooted in this idea that I, I can just kind of have a shallow faith, I can make it about me, and everything's going to be fine. No one's going to know the difference. I think the problem about it is that it actually undoes the two greatest commandments. Jesus says that what it means to be human is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus embodied. That's what Jesus did perfectly. And I think hypocrisy is a wedge that gets in the way of both of those things. Because when we're hypocritical, we harm the people of God for a lot of reasons, right? One of them is, if I'm being hypocritical, I'm not actually being me. I've put on a facade that I want you all to believe because for some reason that's easier to do than actually being myself. And so first of all, if I'm being hypocritical, I'm actually depriving God's people of even knowing me. I just want you to know the me that looks good. 
I want you to think highly of me, and so I'm going to fake it. And when we're hypocritical towards God's people, I think it, it's kind of the image that came to mind this week is it's kind of like a leech. Because what a leech does is it says, well, I don't really want to be part of this organism, but I want to go along for the ride. And I'm, I'm content just to suck the life out of it, but to not actually give myself to it. And I think that's what we do when we're hypocritical. We're like, well, I want the benefits of being a part of this community because it's an awesome community. and I want to be a part of it, but I actually don't want to give myself fully to it. And that can take a lot of forms, right? For Ananias and Sapphira, it was financial. But I think there's a, a whole host of ways. Relationally, I think we can be hypocritical and keep ourselves back. The problem, too, is the other way it harms God's people is that we stop caring about the things God cares about when we have a shallow, hypocritical faith. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about the Pharisees. He wrestled with them on a lot of occasions. And one time he said this to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What Jesus points out here is that when we are hypocritical, we just care about what is easiest for me. The, the Pharisees, in, in what he challenges them on, they're tithing things that are expensive and are meant to grab the attention of, the, of other people. Just kind of like with Ananias and Sapphira, so that people look at them and go, at their faith. I mean, that's awesome. But of course, the problem is they're actually doing something far easier. They're neglecting the things that actually matter to God, the things that God actually wants to see among his people, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Ananias and Sapphira, they, they were fine to give in a way that was deceptive, they actually, the thing that God actually wanted wasn't their money, I don't think. He's wanting them to be a part of this one heart and one soul people. And they thwart that. And lastly, I think that hypocrisy is so dangerous in the church is because when it gets found out, it totally thwarts the one heart and one soul people that God's making. And I, I don't know about you, but if, if you've watched kind of Christian news in the last like few years, there's been a lot of hypocrisy that's been unveiled. Some of it has just been so sad and so shocking, right? People that throughout my life have said, man, that's a really cool believer, only to find out, wow, no, there was something completely different going on behind the scenes. And I think when that happens, it's so damaging to the church because we say, wow, I thought I knew you. I thought we were of one heart and one soul. I thought we actually cared about each other. I, I thought God was uniting us, but actually it turns out you were never being honest with me. You had a completely different motive. 
you were in this for yourself in some sick and twisted way. And when that happens, I think then it kind of sows these seeds of like of cynicism, right? Well, if, if that person's faking it, how do I know that this person isn't faking it? How do I know that all of you aren't faking it? You know, if Ananias and Sapphira had uh, just gotten away with it, if God had let them go, I think what would have potentially happened is, you know, someone might have found out and said, oh, well, hey, maybe I can just give half of what I was planning on giving and no one's going to know the difference. And that's going to build and going to build and it's going to be a spirit that ultimately results in a community that just has a really shallow faith, a fake faith. A community that's content to tithe mint and dill, but not to seek justice and mercy. So hypocrisy is dangerous to the people of God. And I think ultimately, hypocrisy is dangerous to our relationship with God. Peter makes this point in verse 3. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He says later in verse 4, you have not lied to men, but to God. Because what happens is when we're hypocritical, and I was thinking about my own life this week, and it's like, yeah, how on earth do I fall into this? We buy into the idea that ultimately the person we're going to trick is God. So it's like, yeah, I can probably trick you into thinking I'm something other than I really am. But somehow we buy the idea, and God's going to buy it too. God's actually not going to be aware, or maybe he just won't care of what's going on behind the scenes. And, and I'm sure we're, we're all aware of this fact, which is kind of common human sense, that if a relationship is founded on a lie, it's really hard for that relationship to flourish. Right? If, if core to my marriage to Ryan was some sort of deceit and lie, I'm never really genuinely giving myself. Right? And over time, that's just not going to last. And so when we think somehow like, God, you know what? I want to look like I'm on mission with you. I'm content to go through the motions. I'm content to fake it. And you know what? You're not going to know the difference. The person that's ultimately harmed by that is me. And it's us. Because we deprive ourselves from actually being on mission with God. We deprive ourselves from actually being uh, taken up in the things he cares about. And we trick ourselves into thinking, yeah, I am. Yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm good. And, and, and we fool ourselves. And that puts a wedge in us fully experiencing a relationship with God. And so for those reasons, I think God is rightly opposed to hypocrisy. And again, I said, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is a tough passage. This is a harsh passage. God acts in a pretty drastic and dramatic and scary way here. But you know, ultimately, I actually think there is good news. And the good news in this passage is God is for his people and God is for you. Jesus said that his goal for you is that you have life and you have life 
abundantly. God wants you to fully live into what it means to be a human. God wants you to be a human fully alive in him. He wants us to be a people who are that all together. A people who are united in love, who take care of one another. Who are are people of one heart and one soul. And God loves us so much that he says, I am willing to get in the way of something that's going to thwart that. I was in Yellowstone a few weeks ago, and we pulled over to the side of the road, and there was a bear right there. And then I saw there were some cubs as well. And I think rightfully, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so cute. I want to walk closer. But I said, no, I probably shouldn't. Right? I probably shouldn't go too close because I know that that mama bear is good. And precisely because she's good, She is going to oppose me if I get close. She loves her cubs. She's not going to tolerate a threat to them. So guys, I guess what I want to say is I think above all else, this passage shows us God cares about his people. God cares about you. He cares about us. He cares about, about us experiencing the fullness of life in this community that he has planned for us. And he's going to oppose things that will tear that apart, that will cause decay, and that will ruin it. And so, yes, it looks scary in this passage, but ultimately, I think it's a good thing. God is for us, and he will stand up for us. And so then, just... Just to end, I have no clue how long I've been preaching for. <laughs> Hope it wasn't an hour. Let's, let's see. Uh, just to end, um, how should we respond? So what is God calling us to? I think it's, it's, just, it's kind of simple. Right? There's two different examples of ways of following God. There's the way of Ananias and Sapphira, and there's the way of Barnabas. There's a way of, of following God that is... Uh, shallow spirituality. It's a fake faith. It's, it's one that ultimately is not looking out towards others, but is looking towards myself and thinking, how can I get something out of this? I think the clear takeaway is we should run from being that type of person. And Luke notes twice in this passage that the results is that great fear came upon the church. So I, I don't want, again, I don't want to sweep this under the rug. I think it's a point that God wants us to be afraid of hypocrisy. And I don't, I'm not saying that in the sense that I think, you know, God's going to come and zap you if you're hypocritical. He can, I don't think he will. I think he's, he's proven he's merciful and gracious. But I think God's saying, look, I care about this. Run away from that. And so just... You know, my question to myself this week and to you is, it, how, how are you in this community? Are you genuinely bringing yourself, warts and all, or are you putting on a mask and a facade and saying, just like me? Yes, I'm a good Christian. Confirm that in me. Great. I'll see you next week. And the truth is, I actually think God would have been pleased with Ananias and Sapphira if they had come to him and said, God, we've got to be honest with you. 
we want to be like Barnabas, but our hearts are not there. We want to be like these people who just don't care about their possessions, that don't care, just wait for a second, what's going on, that, that don't care about our possessions, but we, we, we want to, we want to be that, but, but we're so, we love our money. God, help us. Help us, please help us to be people who care more about your community than ourselves and our standing in it. I think if they had done that, God actually would have been pleased. Because that's a broken and humble spirit before God. And so my encouragement is if, if you, and you better believe in preaching this to me, if I or you find yourself in a place where it's like, man, I'm, I'm tempted to fake that there's something more going on here than there is so that people will like me, so that I'll come off looking a certain way. Let's be honest with God. God doesn't want a fake you. He wants the real you. And, and let's believe that God has enough love and compassion that he'll hold us, he'll receive us in that, and he will grow us. We don't need to fake it. And then I think then the prayer is that, God, make us like Barnabas. Make us like someone who is losing myself in this community. That I am being absorbed into this one heart, one soul person. God, make me someone who cares less about my prestige, less about my opinions, less about my, my resources, my money, the items that I'm holding on to. God, help me to let go of those so that I can hold on to your people and what you're doing in the world. Make us, make me a part of this one heart, one soul person authentically. I think I'll just close on this passage from uh, Philippians. It just does such a great job of showing us, you know, how this is ultimately who Christ is. It says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for, I, I do, I thank you for this passage today. God, you know that it is not an easy one to talk about. It's not necessarily a pleasant one. But God, I, I just do thank you that you care enough about us, that you're willing to show us what you are opposed to so that we can know fully the life that you want to have for us. And God, I just, I ask that you would, just do, do your good work in me and in the people here at Grace Long Beach where you would guide us away from something that is shallow and fake and self-profiting into something that is genuine and is for others and is for you. God, guide us into that sort of life and convict us when we go the other way. Please keep not letting us stray into something that is not life but guide us towards the life that you have for us. And, and God, just thank you so much that you love us enough that you do that. You don't just leave us to our own devices. 
And so God, I, I pray that you would be doing that work. Touch our hearts, show us where we are hypocritical and, and guide us into being one heart and one soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, prayer? Okay, uh, we're, we're about to go into a time of worship, but uh, while that's going on, we're gonna have some people at the sides there to pray and you can pray with them or they can pray over you. But, um, and this might, might just be a cool opportunity to actually note ways that we haven't fully given ourselves to God and to this community. Um, or you can pray for something else as well. But please feel free to do that if you feel led.